one more thing to say to you, Hogan. Look at me when I'm talking to you. I'm there for one reason, to challenge you for a world championship match in the WrestleMania. Andre, please, no, it's not happening. We're friends. We're friends, Andre, please. You can't believe it? Maybe you'll believe this, Hogan. Andre, what are you doing, man? You can't leave like this, man. What are you doing, Andre? You can't my cross the shirt. What's wrong with him, man? You can't leave like this. You're bleeding. It's not out. Andre, come back, man. You don't have to leave like this. What no, is he no. doing? You're bleeding. Jesus. What's... Come, come. Andre. Come on. Welcome to the latest episode of Slam University. I am one of your hosts, Joe Garcia. I am joined, of course, by Malcolm Spinetti. Hey, you. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Are you yeah, that's, this? Appro- that's appropriate for the show. <laughs> you can do this every time where uh, <laughs> we reopen the show and then you're going to make something well, awkward happen audibly. In, indeed. Well, you've been doing that to me for two years now on the firmware update, so might as well return the favor. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> all right. That's, so, a little, that's a little cross-promotion for you right there, Joe. <laughs> oh, nice, 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 real nice. Uh, anyway, the Slam University podcast, of course, is a history wrestling, wrestling history podcast, rather. Uh, where every couple of weeks we look at the life uh, in times of one of the most legendary wrestlers uh, to ever lace up a pair of boots. And this week, Malcolm, who do we got this week? This week, we've got the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant. Indeed. Andre the Giant, of course, a presence unlike any other, Malcolm. Oh, indeed. I and mean, he was the first. Nowadays, we got lots of monsters, uh, namely Big Show comes to mind, but... Uh, <laughs> Back in those days, seeing a guy the size of Andre, you know, that was a rare sight. I mean, not no one's ever held the term eighth wonder of the world. That's a title exclusive to him. Indeed. And, indeed. And uh, he was a huge part of my life. I remember, like, seeing some of my favorite wrestlers going up against him and fearing for their lives because Andre <laughs> was a very massive man. <laughs> indeed. Uh, I mean, honestly, I, I actually had very little experience with Andre growing up, uh, even mm-hmm. leading up to uh, researching this show, uh, which I'll be spearheading uh, shortly. Uh, but, yeah, like, I had very little experience with him. And, uh, frankly, when I saw, like, that his name would, would be, uh, with, when it was my turn to, to, to do a show, and it's like, oh, it's Andre. And I was like, uh <laughs> <laughs> But as I researched more and more about the man, he's actually become one of my very favorites. I was like, huh, this guy is awesome. Uh, Andre the Giant, not only... You know, for his in-ring presence, but just in general, like he's just a really, just a really fun dude to uh, to research. Uh, oh yeah, he he was a sweetheart. He he could definitely be one of the tougher guys behind the scenes. As if he didn't like, he was one of those guys. This is back in the day before Vince had absolute control over everything. And if Andre didn't want a job, uh, he wasn't jobbing. And if you, <laughs> yeah. and if he didn't like you, then you weren't going to look that great in the ring with him. So. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> But he sweet. He was uh, one of the sweetest guys ever. In fact, one of the best stories with Andre came from the Princess Bride aid movie, which he was in a starring role of. Are you going to go over that at all? Of course. Okay, I'll save it for then. But uh, yeah, he's a. I hate to say this, but he was definitely a gentle, gentle giant. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess we can just dive right into it then. I mean, his. I mean, names like you know Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, the Macho Man, Hulk Hogan. Uh, all of these are brought up. When you discuss, you know, the greatest wrestlers of all times, uh, but you know, not some very few names are actually spoken with the kind of reverence uh, 
of Andre the Giant. You know, of course, you know, you would put, you know, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, you know, above them in terms of, you know, like all-around performer. Uh, but, you know, like just within the industry, so many people have so many good things to say about, you know, Andre the Giant. You know, everybody liked the way that, you know, he called everybody boss, even though he, <laughs> like, which was like, you know, kind of like your, like, you would have like, an, I guess a neighbor uh, who was like language, like English is a second language from, they call everybody boss. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of like that. Uh, you know, and everybody enjoyed that because he's so much bigger than them. It's like, clearly, you're you're in charge of this room, buddy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's always fun for someone like that to call you boss. Uh, you know, he just enjoyed life on the road with his friends. And, you know, besides calling everybody boss, enjoying life on the road with his, you know, with his, put, with his buddies, pals, I kept trying to, kept mixing those words up all the time. You know, he'd lash out sometimes. And in those and instances, instances like that, you know, it caused, uh, some of those around him to remember him a little bit less fondly, uh, which we can dis- discuss in detail later on. But, you know, I came across an interview uh, with Hulk Hogan, of all people, uh, discussing, you know, his career and his life on the road and all that. And uh, one of the parts discussed, you know, Andre the Giant. You know, one of the things was uh, they brought up, you know, one of the one of those altercations that he had was, you know, Bad News Brown, which we'll get into, into detail in, you Oof. know, later on. But, uh, but, yeah, like he just kind of brought up uh, some, but of all people, like Paul Hogan, to be the one to add, you know, his perspective to the situation. It's like, oh, he, like he didn't just, you know, exaggerate everything uh, to put himself over. It's like, oh, this actually sounds like a very thoughtful thing for Paul Hogan of all people to say. Uh, and uh, yeah, like this was a TV interview for a show called The Voice Versus. I don't know if you've seen uh, this interview or heard of the show. No, uh, no, I have not. Um, yeah, the host is Michael Chavello, and he kind of just interviews, you know, wrestlers and MMA fighters and boxers and whatnot. Uh, oh man, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's all right. And uh, I'll just read this entire Hogan quote. Uh, I kind of paraphrased it a little bit, but uh, just to snip it down. But he said, you know, there's never a fork or a knife or even a bed. Uh, there's never a situation where he could be comfortable. He was a seven four, foot four giant. Uh, I'd, I watched when he'd walk ahead of me at the airport. I heard people say horrible things and make fun of him. He lived in a cruel world. If he really understood what he went through and what he was all about, he was a gracious person with a kind heart. But he didn't put up with any games or chicanery. Uh, most people just don't understand the big picture. Uh, so, I mean, I guess that's the man that we're going to talk talk about mostly here today, you know, because, A, uh, you know, he his prime was mostly in the pre-cable, pre-YouTube era. So not much uh, not much footage exists of many of his matches. And uh, uh, the record keeping isn't as clean as it was for, for Hulk Hogan when we found out one website where literally every single one of his matches is chronicled. Mm. Uh, so a lot of this is going to be talking about this nigh mythical being, you know, even for, you know, this kind of like godlike dude who lived in this exaggerated world of professional wrestling, uh, you know, this big tower of a man who, uh, known almost as equally for his charisma and, and for calling people boss as he was for his size, uh, never won many championships, but that's because he only needed one title, Malcolm. Now he's giant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He was also a tag team champion, but aside from that, yeah. But, I mean, he, he, like I said, though, but it, like that's one of like three titles he ever won. Uh, so his fir- his first name Malcolm Andre Rene Rusimov, born on May nineteenth, nineteen forty six, in Grenoble in the French Alps, as you so famously heard from Howard Finkel so many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I often mistook it as Chernobyl for some reason. I'm like, okay, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that's that makes more sense. <laughs> but um, alleg- allegedly, uh, as and already we start off with like legends and stuff because you know him being such a legendary person, he he uh, was prone to exaggeration or p- 
people, the stories around him were prone to that, even by wrestling standards. Uh, so uh, some of this is more legend than you know actual fact, but allegedly Malcolm Andre or uh, Dede, as he was called as a child, uh, reached six foot four and two hundred and fifty pounds by the time he was age twelve. Of course, this made him invaluable on the family farm, but uh, unfortunately, he wouldn't even fit on the school bus uh, and was often refused rides uh, to school. So instead, he was driven to school by a family friend and neighbor who happened to be Nobel Prize winning playwright Samuel Beckett in the back of his pickup truck uh, with Andre uh, saying that they usually just spoke about cricket and stuff. Uh, <laughs> but, but I mean, I think it's I think it's funny that, you know, uh, he would have to ride in the pickup truck because. He just doesn't fit on a school bus. A school bus, Malcolm. And sadly, this is just like a taste of what's to come for him. Because uh, indeed, I've heard Hogan talk about like Hogan has been like one of the biggest talkers about Andre, which is pretty cool. Because if it wasn't for all these Hogan interviews, I wonder how much people would know about him. Right. But he like going off what you were saying earlier. You know, when you go and step into a car, it's like namely built for people like you and me, Joe, who are like average size and what have you. Yeah, like people a foot shorter than than Andre would be uncomfortable in a lot of cars. Yeah, like Big Show, he takes a coach bus, is namely because you know it's impossible for him to find a car that can fit him. So I can only imagine what it was like for poor Andre here. Yeah, and um, Big Show or Paul White, whatever you want to call him, he he had a he had the same condition uh, that, that Malcolm had, or not Malcolm that uh, Andre had. <laughs> that Andre had, but he was able to get surgery to correct it. Uh, uh, so that's why he, he's, you know, seeming, he's seemingly very healthy, uh, well past Andre's age, uh, mm. when he died, but we'll get into that a little later. Spoilers. Um, anyway, uh, of course, by the age of 17, uh, Andre had already moved to Paris with aspirations towards pro wrestling. He'd already done a little training for that. Uh, and in 1969, he'd begun wrestling as Jean Ferret. A French sort of Paul Bunyan, uh, yeah, basically just calling him that. Uh, and his mammoth size that, soon that brought doesn't him. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Paul Bunyan, that's brilliant. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, and you know, as this Paul Bunyan-esque figure over in Paris, he his mammoth size brought him a lot of attention, uh, both in and out of the ring. Uh, legend has it, Malcolm, and you know, there's gonna be a lot of a lot of legend has it, and according to this and that, because again, a uh, big mystical guy that. Is prone to a lot of hearsay because of the era he grew up in. Uh, but legend has it, Malcolm, that after being harassed at a bar by a couple of men, or the number of men even uh, fluctuates, whether it's two or a few, uh, he chased them into their car, and, and according to legend, he flipped it right over with them inside of it. Uh, and, of course, that'll teach him a real good lesson to not you know, mess around to someone three times their size. What's awesome about this, you know, like, Andre was already becoming this urban legend. This is before, like, the internet was around, man. Was oh, like, yeah, this is, like, 1969. <laughs> yeah, this is just word of mouth and just, like, his name being spread around, you know, don't fuck with Paul Bunyan is what people are saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you think you wouldn't need a reminder for something like that. But, <laughs> but there you go. But, you know, <laughs> don't, don't mess with people larger than you. It's not a good idea. Um, anyway, more importantly, though, he started traveling the world after this. Uh, he started wrestling in the UK, the United Kingdom, uh, Germany, Australia, New Zealand, Africa, uh, eventually for the International Wrestling Enterprise in Japan as Monster Rusimov. And when he was in, he was in Tokyo in 1970 for, for I guess, a physical. Uh, this is actually the very first time he visited the doctor in his entire life uh, in 1970 in Japan. Uh, unfortunately, uh, this is where he's diagnosed with acromegaly, 
uh, which is a disorder in which your pituitary gland just continually produces growth hormone. Uh, and doctors told him that he wouldn't live past 40, as his joints and organs wouldn't be able to keep up uh, with mm. his growth. So, not a great not a great start to his wrestling career. Indeed, and yeah, I take it they didn't have, like, was it too late to do what they did with Big Show and take it out, or did they not have the, the ability to do that at that point? That I'm not sure of, because uh, I think... I think Big Show had his procedure done a couple of years or or a few years before he started wrestling in WCW. Yeah, he was still uh, a lad when they did that. Yeah, whereas this would have been, he would have been, let's see, 24 years old. So, I mean, he would have probably been approximately the same age. So, I guess either they didn't have the, the means to, I guess, medically, or I don't know what the deal was exactly. But, uh, unfortunately, he just didn't go through with that. Yeah, I guess... You know, either it was too late or maybe he thought, you know, like, no, I'm, a, I'm billed as a giant. I need to keep, keep growing or something like that. I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily the case because he is already pretty damn big. <laughs> <laughs> um, but going back to what you were saying it, and going back and hearing some of the history with Andre, it amazes me that he was such a journeyman. Like he was like a, like what Cesaro was where he would go all over, you know, Japan and Europe and wrestle all over the place. It sounds like Andre did kind of the same thing. Yeah, like it the way the way it seems, uh, you know, reading interviews and, and things like that. It just seems like he, like he heard that news and he's like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to live my life to the absolute fullest and experience as much as I can, uh, which included you know traveling all over the world as a wrestler, uh, even though it wasn't physically optimal for a guy his size. Um, but it just seemed like he took it in stride better than I think most people would when you tell them that they're not going to live past 40. Mm. So, yeah, like he would, of course, continue to wrestle, uh, eventually moving to Montreal, uh, where he'd become a headliner at the Montreal Forum. Uh, however, even an extraordinary attraction like Andre Goose, a little stale as promoters ran out of plausible opponents, you know. Uh, after a while, you could only see, like, there are only so many people that are as formidable as, you know, as most giant wrestlers, and even then, you know, he'd dwarf them. So to be able to, like, run through five or six of them, and, like, everyone's like, okay, I've seen you decimate all these smaller giants, but now there's no one else here. Uh, so I'm going to do something else. That's basically what happened. Uh, with Became Andre. a cruiserweight. No, just... <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, so as Andre attracted fewer people to the forum, his manager slash advisor, uh, Frank Valois, or Valois, uh, depending on how French you want to pronounce it, uh, brought him to Vince McMahon Sr. in 1973 uh, for a lot of advice. And under Vince's grooming, he became Andre the Giant. Hey. Uh, and, to, and to enhance the perception of his size by no longer performing, you know, the enhanced, enhancing the perception of his size. So they, they said, you know what, no more drop kicks and other agile maneuvers that he was surprisingly capable of performing. Uh, so, you know, they rented him out to other promotions to keep him... Uh, moving around to grow his legend. So instead of, you know, just playing one venue over and over, you know, they'd have him tour, like, the rest of the promotion. Uh, and that way, uh, by the time he came back to a city, you know, he'd be, you know, this big, immovable monster, this un unmovable force. Malcolm. All right. All right, and uh, I've heard, uh, I've heard, like, a, you know, Undertaker give, like, advice to people, something similar. Going back to Andre doing that dropkick, which... A lot of people don't realize this because they saw Andre during the twilight of his career, but he used, for a guy his size, he was just as agile as, like, uh, a, like I won't say maybe an average uh, wrestler is doing drop kicks or what have you. 
And I, re- I remember an interview with uh, Kevin Nash where he, where Nash did a sunset flip to somebody mm-hmm. and Taker, Taker like grabbed him when he came back, back to the, went to the back and said, if you ever do something like that again, I'm hitting the ring. You know, it's like, the guys <laughs> don't do that. So it's like, yeah, there's like a psychology to how you wrestle as a big man. And you really see a lot of it when, uh, in Andre's later career as, even though it looks like it's just Andre just attacking you like a giant third grader. No, there's actually a lot of <laughs> psychology that goes into it, which we'll go into as we continue. So, Indeed. Um, and, of course, Andre the Giant, because, you know, A, it's very straightforward, and B, like, you know, French mythical beings don't probably play as well over in North America. Uh, so they're like, you know, we just got to call you Andre the Giant. Just, this is going to be real straightforward. With me. And, um, yeah. He would become in pretty much an instant success that way. Uh, he would debut with the Worldwide Wrestling Federation on March 26, 1973 at Madison Square Garden against Buddy Wolf, uh, where he would kickstart his legend as an undefeated monster. Uh, mm-hmm. And of course, like I said, without cable or YouTube or you know, regular TV programming, uh, it's very easy to build that up, even though he'd already lost a few matches before that, and he would lose some after uh, like most notably i think he lost to uh, antonio Inoki by submission uh, yeah not by tapping out but by passing out but so he he had been like joe said he had been defeated but there's no tv right. you can't prove it yeah so it's very believable especially when you go you know you enter the arena to see this guy and you see him at seven and a half feet tall you're like oh yeah who could ever be him <laughs> like, um so although andre went virtually undefeated wherever he went he could still give his opponents you know, a rub by virtue of just allowing them a good few minutes in the ring. Yeah, this was like the standard Andre match. Like, the guy would get in, Andre would just thrash him. Like, there was nothing pretty about what what Andre did. He would grab you, punch you, choke He He loved choking people in the corner. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. He would just thrash you, and then the opponent, if he liked you, <laughs> yeah, would suddenly get a lucky shot, and he would rock the giant, and people would wake up. <gasps> Then the guy would start hitting him with all these blows, but Andre would just slap him around and like, oh, I thought he had him. But then he would get a luck- another lucky shot and another and another and another. And then he'd fall to a knee and the place would explode. Mm-hmm. And if he really, really liked you, hey, he might fall to his back so he can let you get a one count on <laughs> <laughs> uh, But then he'd hit you with that big elbow or... He had, like, this weird suplex. It was like a front face lock, then he'd flip you over. So it looked like a suplex, except he forgot to drape your arm over the back of his neck, and then he'd <laughs> fall on top of you. Like, all of his moves were falling on top of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, he couldn't drape you over his neck, because you're too damn short. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, on, on on the subject of, you know, him giving people a good few minutes in the ring, uh, Jerry Lawler had, had this to say in... Uh, in Michael Krugman's biography of Andre. He said, quote, uh, he'd let you do anything you wanted in a match other than beat him, uh, but if he didn't like you, he'd make you look like crap, and there wasn't anything anyone could do about it. <laughs> and, yeah, that's... Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's like... I mean, it's such a weird dynamic, right? Where it's like, normally... Like, you hear so much about wrestlers going into business, you know, for themselves, uh, going off script and doing something that they shouldn't, uh, and they could do that because they're with an equal or lesser-sized opponent. Uh, in the ring, but, you know, it's just not possible with someone like Andre the Giant. 
Oh, yeah. It's a, like I said, this is back during the time where people could say, go to Vince, no, I'm not losing by pinfall or what have you. And Vince would have to think of a way around it instead of just saying you're fired. So, <laughs> so it's like with Andre, like I remember a interview Brett did where he talked about facing Andre in Milan, Italy. And he said like one of the biggest pops he'd gotten is at he the biggest pop he ever got in his life so at least at that point was facing Andre at Milan Italy and uh, he actually like knocked him over and covered him the place place erupted but then <laughs> Andre hits an elbow and that's it but you know <laughs> yep. and but yeah i mean he could make you look like a million bucks which uh, once again goes to that psychology like he would beat you, he'd beat you up just to make it look make you look even more heroic when you find when you overcame that and mounted some kind of offense, despite the fact that he's this huge monster, like he <laughs> right. he reminds me kind of a Brock Lesnar kind of like you go in there it was like a different sort of match because it wasn't like catch as catch can or anything pretty you just go in there and maul you and you just endured it. <laughs> <laughs> but oh yeah, oh yeah, it's fair. It's like you said, it's very interesting that he basically called it. Like when we go into WrestleMania three, he pretty much called that too. So <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah, some fun stories about WrestleMania three. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, Andre's celebrity quickly boomed as he toured the world. Uh, according to the 1974 Guinness Book of World Records, Malcolm, his four hundred thousand uh, dollars a year was tops in the business. Uh, oh wow! W- yeah, four hundred thousand dollars a year uh, sounds like a fairly good you know athlete salary. You know, today, but in 1974, that's that's crazy. Mm. Around this time as well, you know, Washington's NFL team actually offered Andre a tryout uh, for some position. I'm assuming some sort of lineman, uh, either offensive or defensive. I don't know. Uh, he appeared on the Tonight Show with guest host Joey Bishop in the summer of '74, and they very famously compared hands. I don't know if you remember that, Malcolm. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and of course, he played he played a Sasquatch on the Six Million Dollar Man. Uh, in 1976 as well. Did he? Okay, I yeah. did not know that. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, you look at it now, and it's just, it's like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's clearly Andre the Giant, and, <laughs> and a bunch of bunch of hair and brown makeup. <laughs> because, you know, of course, uh, back in those days, there wasn't, as, uh, as David Shoemaker in his profile of Andre the Giant said, uh, that's also in his Squared Circle book, uh, he said, uh, no, back then there wasn't CGA. There was only uh, CG. There was only Andre. Uh, <laughs> there was only Andre. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great profile. Yeah, everyone should read it. Um, and then on June twenty fifth, nineteen seventy six, uh, one of his crazier matches, he fought Chuck Wepner, who was a boxer uh, or the boxer whose story actually inspired Rocky uh, at Shea Stadium in a match that served as an undercard uh, to Antonio Inoki versus Muhammad Ali. Uh, so just a lot of crazy factors all around. Yeah, event. I, and I saw this match uh, too, per your homework for this uh, <laughs> review. Uh, first of all, you know it, it's classic, but at the same time, I would have to say Big Show versus Mayweather was better. Uh, <laughs> uh, it shows you a lot of the holes with a boxer versus wrestler matchup because uh, in the end, it just makes the boxer look like pretty gutless because it was a lot of Andre would charge him and Webner would grab the ropes again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, yeah, because, I mean, there's only so much a boxer can do, because, you know, as Andre pointed out in, like, in an interview he did with Sports Illustrated in 1981, 
it's like there's really no way for like even if it was a legitimate fight there's no way for a boxer to really beat a wrestler because his hands are tied up in these gloves it's like he can't do much yeah it's uh, like even if uh, andre just boxed with him he would have like a unfair advantage because he wasn't wearing the gloves <laughs> yeah so it's like there's no like there's no real sense of you know like the wrestler ever having a chance of losing against the boxer. Um, and plus, you know, as soon as the wrestler grabs you, throws you to the ground, it's pretty much over. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, uh, by the way, I'm just now seeing these $6 million man pictures. Holy crud. <laughs> it looks like Andre was just really hairy. This is going to be haunting my nightmares. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit terrifying. Oh, yeah. The end just comes uh, pretty suddenly. Andre, I, I don't know if uh, Wepner ticked off Andre and he just... Oh, yeah, absolutely, because here's 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 the setup for the match, Malcolm, is that, you know, both men, win or lose, are guaranteed $25,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that final round, you see that, you know, Andre corners Webner and he starts laying into Andre's head like, with like a bunch of like actual punches and you can tell it's like, Andre's like, alright, I'm done messing with this fool. <laughs> <laughs> and he proceeds to pretty much just pick him up and throw him outside of the ring. Oh, uh, when you, if you throw him out, you can hear him just like Rocky with, said when uh, Thunderlips threw him. I was like, "Catch me, catch me!" No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know that he <laughs> that causes Chuck to lose by countout. Uh, yeah, I'm and, guessing he didn't know about the countout rule. <laughs> yeah, I mean his quarterman tried to throw him back in the ring in time, but they uh, they could not. Um, <laughs> and you know, legend has it that you know according that. You know, of course, everyone on the wrestling side knew that this was going to be a big work, but they didn't tell, they didn't tell Chuck what was going to happen. So, so, so as to keep all of his reactions natural, uh, whether it was going to be a work or not. Uh, so, I guess that's why he started. That's why the match went the way it did. Um, but a, a fun wrestling event all around because you know you've got this crazy spectacle of a wrestler facing a boxer. You've got Andre the Giant being one of the participants and just throwing the dude outside the ring. And you've got mayhem ensuing when the cornermen uh, start fighting against each other after he gets thrown out. Uh, it's just a really good wrestling event all around, I think. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was uh, pretty surprised, A, to see that Don King had his uh, his hands in this, as quite a few of the cornermen had <laughs> Don King on the back. And uh, did you recognize one of Andre's uh, cornermen, Gorilla Monsoon? Indeed, yeah. Um, and you brought this up, Malcolm, but this did indeed serve as the inspiration for the fight between Rocky and Thunderlips in Rocky Three. Oh, did it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brother, that part where you threw him over the top rope, we're going to include that in there. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, the whole thing happens pretty much verbatim, uh, except that the fight in Rocky takes a little less time. It's also uh, more exciting, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Imagine if it was just like this fight, where just Rocky grabbing the ropes. <laughs> well, Rocky don't grab no ropes, man. No, man, yeah. Or put his hands up to defend himself, or or anything, really. That Eyes of the Tiger don't see ropes there. Uh, that's <laughs> no, a fact. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it was a very interesting fight, and kudos to Andre. One of the few times the wrestler goes over the celebrity. Yeah. I mean, what other times did that not happen? Oh, uh, let's see. Mayweather comes to mind. Uh, Lawrence Taylor comes to mind. Mickey Rourke uh, knocked out Chris Jericho. Hugh Jack. <laughs> Pretty much if you're a celebrity. As well he should. Oh, and don't, let's not forget Bob Bob Euchre. Not Bob Euchre. Who, who's the guy from The Price is Right? <laughs> Bob uh, Barker. Bob Barker. Bob Barker beating up Chavo Guerrero. Oh, man. 
All right, all right. <laughs> Look, anyway. We should do a show just about on celebrities beating up. <laughs> oh, Mr. T Zoo. <laughs> oh, God. All right, but moving on. Moving on, Malcolm. Uh, we, we move forward a few years uh, to May 1980, where we do get to the infamous uh, Buster Brown, or not Buster Brown. Buster uh, Brown. Jeez. <laughs> goodness gracious. To the infamous Bad News Brown incident on the infamous bus ride in Japan, in which uh, Andre gets into a phys- or verbal application over his drunken use of uh, the N-word. Should we talk a little bit about uh, how much Andre could drink? <laughs> Uh, we'll get into that a little later. Okay, okay. But uh, it really should be told. But you're right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But uh, but yeah, this this is uh this is an unfortunate incident because uh you know Bad News Brown at the time you know he's he's one of the more talented dudes of the era as well. You know he's a judo champion and all that. Uh, never got the respect he deserved though. Uh, the era being what it was. Like you've heard, like there's a lot of sides to this story. Uh, or I mean rather a lot of the people on the bus that were on that bus tell it different ways. But I figured the most fair assessment would be Bad News Brown's assessment, uh, which was that, you know, he heard that he was just kind of sitting. I guess the sitting arrangement was, you know, Bad News Brown in front of Hulk Hogan in front of Andre the Giant, who was talking to other people in the back of the bus. uh, And he just hears them blurt out the N-word, which uh, either he was just saying offhand or he was just telling a joke with the word in it. Uh, But either way, uh, Bad News Brown did not appreciate that, uh, as you would expect. Uh, and Bad News Brown, you know, calls him out on it, and he he eventually demands that the bus be pulled over so they can handle it outside. Uh, but you know, I, I believe Blackjack Mulligan or Stan Hansen, I think it's Stan Hansen, who uh, who pulls him back in to say, "You're not gonna fight Andre the Giant. That's not a sensible thing to do." <laughs> uh, so like, you know, just get on the bus because we all want to go to bed and all that, and we'll figure it out later. And that's what kind of happened, I guess. It was kind of an interesting situation, as I, from what I understand, it got bad news a ton of respect in terms of, for a standing up to Andre like that, and b you know willing to fight Andre the Giant. That that's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And secondly, and thirdly, it Blackjack Mulligan and Stan Hansen; th- those are two big guys. To pr- those are the those would be the guys I would say would have to break be needed to break up a fight between these two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't wait to do Stan Hansen on this show. Oh, my <laughs> uh, man. And, yeah, eventually the whole thing would, you know, kind of blow over some, like, the, the biography that I read uh, or was uh, this awesome graphic novel uh, by, Box Brown, by Box Brown called uh, Andre the Giant. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, it's like his life in a comic book form or something. Yeah, like that, right? it's it's terrific. It's oh. terrific stuff. I love it a lot. It was a big part of uh, part of the research because you know it, there's some liberties that you you would have to take in a comic book because uh, like for this book, the, for this you know Ben was Brown story like you don't no, like no one talks about the seating arrangement on the bus so you know you kind of just had to improvise that uh, so things like that are kind of improvised in the book but you know for the most part uh, a lot of the stuff is substantiated in other interviews and biographies and whatnot so it's a really cool source of of information uh, as far as you know, any sort of biography goes. I wish there were more, more, <laughs> more things like this because it's cool. Hmm. Definitely. I'll have to check this out, but uh, continue. Accounts agree that, you know, in any case, you know, Bad News Brown demanded that the bus be pulled over, whether or not they actually did. Hulk Hogan says they never did pull the bus over uh, in that interview that I mentioned earlier. Uh, but anyway, August 9th, 1980, Malcolm. Andre the Giant faces Hulk Hogan at Shea Stadium mm. at the showdown at Shea. 
notably, if you've watched this match, if you've watched this match at all, uh, Hogan does slam Andre uh, during the match. Uh, although he would, of course, go on to lose. Uh, and Hogan was a big heel at the time as well. You know, he had the gold cape. He was piling around. You know, classy Freddie Blassie. Uh, did not take that loss in stride, Malcolm. He loaded his elbow pad with some sort of foreign object, hit the giant with it, and, you know, gave him color. Very heelish move. Oh, yeah. Is this the one where Andre cuts the promo afterwards and he's just screaming, Hogan! Hogan! <laughs> I don't remember exactly, because uh, what I watched was kind of just the match. Uh, and, like, even the archival WWE version where they had Michael Cole and Mick Foley do commentary over it, I think, cut off after after the pinfall. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's just cool that it's like, oh, like, this Andre has slammed quite a few times uh, before WrestleMania 3. Uh, on top of losing a few times before WrestleMania 3, he'd been slammed a few times before. I think Stan Hansen slammed him once. Uh, Harley Race did as well, uh, among others. So, you know, it wasn't uncommon. I mean, it was uncommon, but it wasn't unheard of. Yeah, that's if he really, really liked you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um Here's some more uh, drunken Andre stories. In August 1980, later that month, at a birthday party for Dick Murdoch, drunk drunk Andre uh, disrespected Murdoch and his friends. Uh, Blackjack Mulligan calms down Murdoch, after which Mulligan and Andre get into a fight uh, because Andre just challenges him to a fight. He's like, hey, boss, I want to fight you. And they're like, okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> and they're like, okay. And uh, like, it's a really great part of, the, of that comic book, by the way, uh, where, he, where uh, Blackjack Mulligan is like, first, but first, let's cheers for our friendship. And they're like, cool. And as, you know, Andre starts drinking, he su- starts drinking his beer, he just sucker punches him <laughs> on the chin. It's really fun. You know, and they get into this fight and they just run rough, sh- uh, run rough shots through this hotel room and break through one of the windows. Uh, and yeah, like this story... Uh, you know, not only is in the comic book, it was actually confirmed in a uh, in an interview by the by the by the person who did the comic book in an interview that he did before uh, to confirm the story with Blackjack Mulligan. So, so that actually happened. <laughs> uh, I don't feel very bad for Dick Murdoch though. No, no, because man, what a, what a bad person! <laughs> what a terrible person, uh, Dick Murdoch. Was. Oh man. Okay, now I want to do uh, one on uh, Blackjack Mulligan. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, Dick Murdoch, not Blackjack Mulligan. Oh, Blackjack. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, Dick Murdoch, uh, he can tell some very bad stories about Dick Murdoch and <laughs> being pretty much a card-carrying member of the KKK, but that's neither here nor there. Oh, dear God. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in 1981, Malcolm, uh, Andre enters a feud with Killer Khan, another big, large man. Uh, during this span, sometime in May, Andre breaks his ankle getting out of bed uh, after a match, or the night after a match. Uh, and they kind of have to sell it to the public as having been broken by Khan during their match on May 2nd, saying that they kind of mistimed or mis- misplaced a, a knee drop on his ankle, and that's what happened. And then in the backstage promo, they interview Andre, and he's like, Khan! <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Killer Khan, if I remember correctly from the uh, Hogan uh, retrospect that we did... Uh, that was like, he was also in that uh, IWGP Grand Prix tournament, too. It was one of the guys, probably one of the guys Andre had to face in that tournament, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, according to the Sports Illustrated interview uh, that he did in 1981, uh, this is actually the first time Andre had been hospitalized for any reason. Uh, you know, when he was diagnosed with acromegaly, that was the first time he'd visited the doctor. This is the first time he'd been hospitalized. And 
it's the according here's a quote from that from that interview it says quote unusual surgical tools and techniques were required for the operation uh the largest screws available were needed to fix them the malleolus in place the malleolus being that little ball on the side of your ankle and uh yeah, two tourniquets had to be used end on end to encompass his thigh, and Dr. Yet, a surgeon, uh, described Andre's cast as the largest he ever had to make. Uh, fortunately, the hospital did have a nine-foot bed, but Andre presented other problems, such as the method of anesthesia and the fact that the hospital's longest pair of crutches was not quite long enough. Mm. And I don't know if you've heard of the story of how they figure out how to give anesthesia to Andre the Giant, Malcolm. No, how did they have to? <laughs> well, they had no idea how to put that, put down the giant. Uh, so they asked somebody, they're like, well, like how like how, how much does it take for him to get drunk? And they're like, well, he drinks a couple of bottles of vodka before he said he feels tingly. <laughs> so there you go. So yeah, I, I, he might, I'm not going to say he's into the Guinness book, even though I heard that he was. But uh, yeah, he could do like 100 cans of beer and not feel anything or something. Is uh, something I've heard from various stories, but yeah, he could do, he could drink so much alcohol. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Let's see. Some of the, some of the numbers I've heard rather, uh, from David Shoemaker's profile, he said, yeah, he said 119 beers in one sitting, 156 beers in another, a case of wine on a four hour bus ride, a $40,000 bar tab while filming the princess bride. $40,000. And. 7,000 calories of alcohol intake a day. You sure hit that Andre didn't die of alcohol poisoning? <laughs> he didn't. I mean, the alcohol probably didn't help, but <laughs> but I wasn't the direct cause, I don't think. My God, I mean... Uh, okay, for a $40,000 tab, that should be enough to kill a man at the end. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess... I mean, he probably drank a lot of... The better stuff, I'm, I'm guessing. You didn't just drink, like, PBRs for, like, for 25 cents a can. That's a lot of Budweiser. <laughs> like, he was probably drinking, like, high-end whiskey or whatever that he'd like to drink so much. You know, fine wines and whatnot. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I assume that's the French in him, too. The the acquired taste to wine and what have yeah. you. Yeah, like, he, he enjoyed himself a good wine, for sure. Mm. Like, on top of, you know, the high quantity, he enjoyed the quality as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you've kind of ruined me on, on Andre, and I'll tell you why. I really okay. wish every single match, like I'm imagining WrestleMania three, the stare down between him and Hogan, and then Andre goes, well, first, here, and gives him a glass of wine, a toast of our French. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sucker punches him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, <laughs> when Andre finally returned from this injury in November 81, he had a blow-off match uh, with with Killer Khan, a Mongolian stretcher match. Where he killed Killer Khan. He murdered him dead. <laughs> uh, he just won. Of course, he just won. <laughs> he won very simply. See, with Andre, you have to explain that. No, no, he didn't actually kill him. He did not actually murder him, even though you could believe that he did. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right, and... Was that it? Was just a one and done match? Yeah, pretty much. Because they'd kind of been feuding for a while uh, before that. Before uh, he broke his ankle, uh, so it made sense to just have this match be a blow off. Yeah. And you know, for those unfamiliar, uh, blow off being you know the kind of final match between any two opponents uh, to kind of finally settle the feud. Indeed. Anyway, uh, Vince McMahon Jr. 
around this time, uh, finally bought the WWF from his papa in 1982. Uh, he signed Andre to an exclusive contract in 1984. Uh, he would allow him to wrestle outside the U.S. for New Japan Pro Wrestling, but when he was inside, uh, when he was stateside, you know, he wouldn't be able to tour with the territories, uh, you know, just the WWF. Uh, not Andre's favorite situation because, you know, he loved touring the country, uh, kind of playing the, he- the you know, the giant hero uh, for, you know, people all over the world or all over the country. But, you know, now that he had to stick with the WWF, he could only be on their schedule. And, uh, yeah, like, he was he was happy to do it because he, he respected Vince Sr. so much. So he's happy to, to work with Vince, you know, Vince Jr. But, but not ideal for, 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 for Andre. Yeah. And plus, you know, you got to keep in mind, you know, that, like, uh, that's how you made your money. You just went to as many people as possible, even though I'm not saying that uh, probably Vince was playing him pretty well. But no, of course. Yeah. But, you know, Andre just loved being on the road as well, uh, on top of, you know, making more money. Um, you know, and his first major feud in the new, the new, uh, new look WWF was with Big John Studd, one of the few on the roster that could hope to measure up to Andre's size. Mm. Uh, you know, and during this feud in December 84, uh, Studd and his partner, Ken Patera, held down Andre and cut off his trademark bushy hair at the time uh, and set up this match between uh, Big John Studd and Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 1, the $15,000 body slam challenge. Mm-hmm. You were going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say at the time, but leading up to this time, Andre had like one of the sweetest afros out there. <laughs> yeah, like he had this, just a really nice perm, I guess, or he just had the, or his hair is just naturally that curly, I don't know. Yeah, it's like uh, watching it go away. I imagine I would feel the same way after watching uh, Vince McMahon lose the Battle of the Billionaires match and had to ha- get his really sweet haircut. And <laughs> it, it's ne- it hasn't it's never gone back to how awesome it used to be. It's actually... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, according to the uh, to the comic book, like he kind of wanted to change his look, so he's like, like let's just have it where you guys cut my hair and I can come back and get revenge or whatever, and that'll be the story. It played up. It played pretty well, I think. Yeah, very, anyway, very simple but very effective. And it just grew to like this curly-haired, short hair look. And this is like the Andre that I think most people know. Yeah, and you know the fifteen thousand dollar body slam challenge was kind of an open challenge by Bobby the Brain Heenan, who was you know Stud's manager. Uh, you know it was a prize. Anyone who could ever slam Stud uh, would get the money. Uh, and who comes out? Of course, Andre the Giant to not only claim the money, but his revenge for getting his hair cut. And I don't know if you've watched this match recently, Malcolm, but a uh, very simple match, of course, you know, the way most Andre matches do, are, uh, where yeah. at the end, eventually does slam Big John Studd, uh, very effortlessly, I would say. Yeah, it's like, the thing is, the announcers like, are always, oh, can he do it? And they're like... Can, like, seriously, can the guy twice uh, split <laughs> size pick him up? I, I'm going to go with yes. So <laughs> <laughs> and the thing about Stud is that he was huge too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like I said this also in WrestleMania three with Hogan. Yeah, like Andre is just that big where you can put him in with like any guy. Like Big John Stud was a giant, even though <laughs> yeah, he did, like, even though he didn't quite look it next to friggin' Andre. Yeah, like he. We I don't think he ever reached seven feet, but he he was a girthy man. Like he wasn't like. And he wasn't like a fat man either. Like he was just like a like a big barrel of a man. Mm. Uh, so for you know someone to be able to throw him around like Andre could, it's like wow, that's 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 still impressive. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's one of the first iconic. It might be the first iconic image of WrestleMania. <laughs> 
Andre picking up a stud and slamming him to get the money. And then, of course, he gets the money, which I guess it was 15,000 in ones, if you're looking at the <laughs> picture of him throwing it to the crowd, but Bobby steals it, so... Yeah, I mean it's such a great picture because you know he's just kind of making it rain uh, with with uh, with the money in the duffel bag. And the, the funny thing about the duffel bag is that you know Stud and Heenan carry it into the ring, and you know it's a normal duffel bag. And then they hand it to Andre after he wins, and it's this tiny little like Q-tip almost in his hand. It looks uh, like a purse. It looks, <laughs> looks like a like a coin purse at that. Yeah, it, it goes from being like this huge uh, gym bag to being a freaking purse. It's like crazy. <laughs> And you know he just starts throwing money, and it, it's it's a it's a great moment. It's because you know the visual of him throwing money into the into the crowd, and then Heenan being Heenan and taking it, you know, turning back on his promise, uh, in a classic you know Heenan moment. Uh, oh, Heenan looks like such a troll in that instance. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best. Oh man. Oh yeah. Oh man. I can't wait to talk about him too. He's the best. But <laughs> moving on. Uh, what did Andre do after this? Uh, well, in the time between WrestleMania 1 and WrestleMania 2, uh, he he was largely used in tag matches. Nothing really, I guess, significant or notable, unfortunately. Uh, but at WrestleMania 2, he did participate and won a 20-man uh, battle royal that also included a, a large amount of uh, NFL players, including the William the Refrigerator Perry, uh, in one of the matches that took place in Los Angeles in the ill-advised triple venue event that was WrestleMania 2. Uh, Did you ever and, watch this match? Uh, yeah. Just some snippets there. Uh, the exchange between the refrigerator and Big John Stud was pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> refrigerator, as well as most of the Chicago Bears in there, uh, were very over. Oh, yeah. Because this is, what, 1987? Uh, yeah. This is... Or 86, rather. Is this the so, time uh, during the Super Bowl shuffle? That they uh, yeah, like the Bears had just, like, two months before that won the Super Bowl. Ah, the Bears. <laughs> uh, and, and of course, thing. it came down to, like, the Hart Foundation and Andre the Giant at the end, and Andre <laughs> took out both of them. Yeah. Out with, out with the Anvil, out with, uh, and then out with Brett. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> Andre continued to work for a short while after WrestleMania 2, but unfortunately, his acromegaly was taking its toll. His body had continued to grow. He was aging prematurely, so he looked much older than he did uh, just a few years prior. And he's suffering from ter- just terrible back pain, uh, terrible joint pain. I mean, going back to what we said earlier, you know, when he was diagnosed with this disease or disorder beforehand, uh, you know, they told him he wouldn't live to see 40. You know, at the time of WrestleMania 2, he was like 39 and 10 months. Uh, so he, so, you know, it was already taking a severe toll on his body. And the counts vary on when Andre had surgery on his back to relieve pressure on his spine. Some say it was before filming The Princess Bride a few months after. Uh, some say it was after agreeing to come back for WrestleMania 3. Uh, but the circumstances are as awesome as they are for his last hospital stay. Uh, according to this, they pushed two operating tables uh, together. Uh, special instruments were, of course, brought in. And again, the anesthesiologist had to ask him the same question. Like, how much do you need to put this guy out? And again, it's like, oh, another bottle of vodka just keeps him warm. It's like, okay. <laughs> so, just this terrible toll uh, that this that this disease took on him. And, you know, like the steady torture of, of cars that were too small, beds that were too small, uh, airplane bathrooms that just did not accommodate him. Uh, like, I just imagine the torture that was taking a flight from, like, New York to Japan uh, and not having, and having to be very careful about what you eat and drink because uh, you can't use the bathroom on this 17-hour flight. 
Yeah, hold, having to hold it in that entire time, or goddamn man. Yeah, so rough, rough going. Oh yeah, and probably not being able to sit in a seat, so probably having to like lay down or something like that. Oh, no, I mean he he of course sat first class, but he I think he would have to he took two seats uh, in first class. Oh yeah. So I mean, at least the seating was fairly comfortable, uh, even though still not ideal. Ah, poor guy. Yeah, like I mean, they're. Like in that Sports Illustrated uh, interview, you know, he talks about how, you know, he, or rather the person interviewing or profiling him, you know, talks about, you know, how Andre could ever go see a movie at, at, at the theater. Like he, because he wouldn't fit in any of the seats. Like he could walk like down, like down the street and see all this awesome, all these awesome clothes in the store. And even though he could afford to buy every single thing in there, like nothing would fit. Uh, like he could see like a Ferrari going down the street and he could love the car, but he would never be able to buy in and drive in it or even sit in it. So it's like, there's all the stuff that, you know, all this fame that for all the fame that he got, like it didn't really serve him a whole much, a whole lot uh, mm. when he wanted to actually do things uh, with his money. So very unfortunate. And, you know, years and years of this uh, on top of the physical toll, like it took its toll, basically. Whatever the time of the surgery was, though, Andre was off filming his iconic role as Fezzik in The Princess Bride between September and December of 1986. Oh, one of the best movies ever. Can I confess something here, Mark? Sure. I've never seen it. What? <laughs> Correct. You've, ne you've never seen one of the best movies ever made? I've never seen it. I've wanted to see it, and of course I wanted to see it in the lead-up to, you know, doing all this research for this episode, but unfortunately I just could not make cover at the time in the, in the weeks leading up to this, but before that, like, I just never, I don't know. Oh my god, Joe, what? You... I don't know. How could you not have talked to me, man? I mean, <laughs> I would have bought you the fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, maybe I'll put it on my Amazon wishlist and you can oh. do it. There you go. You do it after this uh, conversation here. <laughs> Bloody hell. Uh, in any case, Malcolm, he does enjoy his time filming this movie very, very much and is immensely proud of his work there, uh, insisting on watching it repeatedly with other wrestlers over the years. Uh, you know, in Box Brown's uh, Andre the Giant as well, uh, the graphic novel that I keep bringing up, he's, he's shown as telling co-star uh, Mandy Patinkin uh, that he enjoys... One of the one of the more somber moments that you know, like he asks him, he's like, "Are you enjoying your time here on the on the, on the set?" He's like, "Yes." Like even though we're kind of a lot of it is just kind of us just sitting around, not not even doing anything. He's like, "Yeah," and he's and he says, uh, "Because no one looks at me here." It's like, "Oh, mm. it's so sad." So sad. It is, that is the saddest thing. My gosh. Ah, uh, so um, I am currently looking up the something on IMDb here. But yeah, I did have like one story that I wanted to tell from his time here, from his time on that on there that I thought was really really cool too. Uh, there's this one scene in uh, the Princess Bride, Aide, where Andre the Giant's character he's part of like this three man uh, rogue cell that they kidnap the princess uh, essentially, mm -hmm. and. Uh, Andre is, you know, his like big uh, thing is that he's a, his big thing is the strength. Of course, he's uh, teamed up with it's uh, basically a strong man, a fencer, and a genius teamed up in order to kidnap this girl. And uh, 
One of the guys is is uh, Vizzini, who is played by Wallace Shawn, which you may not know, recognize that name, but you know, take a look at his picture as IMDb. He's one of those guys that's in everything. And uh, the, apparently Wallace was really scared to do this scene because they were scaling up this mountainside, and he has this huge fear of heights. And uh, right before they're about to go up, you know, Wallace is panicking. He's, like, all scared. And Andre asks him, hey, Wallace, what's wrong? And Wallace tells him, I'm definitely scared of heights. I don't want to fall. And Andre just, like, and this is from Wallace here, so you know it's true. Andre puts a hand on his shoulder, looks him in the eye and says, Wallace, I'm not going to let you fall. That's all he says to him. And <laughs> he was able to do the scene with no problem because he's attached to Andre. The entire time. And as soon as Andre told him that, you know, he was so calm and like, yeah, Andre wasn't going to let me fall. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> just I will buy you this freaking movie after the show, Joe. Jesus, I, you have to see this movie. It's one of my favorites <laughs> growing up as a child. OK, um, you know, and one of the stories uh, in the in the graphic novel that from behind the scenes of the movie as well is, is from Billy Crystal, uh, where I guess they're out drinking somewhere. Uh, like in a hotel lobby, and uh, and Andre passes out on the floor uh, after all this drinking, and and they try to call a cab, and he doesn't fit in the cab, and they can barely move him anyway. So they're like, uh, I guess we just gotta leave him here, <laughs> and we'll we'll see him, we'll see him tomorrow. Oh. And so yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of great stories coming out of uh, out you of the cut set. out by the way. There, uh, you say so. Essentially, they called a cab, and everyone was able to get one, but Andre. Basically, yeah, because, I mean, A, they couldn't move him very well. <laughs> uh, you know, a a knocked out 500-pound man is a very hard thing to move. <laughs> uh, and even if they could move him, the, the cab drivers are like, I, the, where am I going to put him? He doesn't fit in this thing. <laughs> so uh, so they kind of just draped <laughs> like a cloth over him, and he slept there. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway... Um, so, you know, he, he films this iconic movie, movie in this iconic role. Uh, and to explain his absence from WWF-TV during this time, uh, Andre had been suspended, uh, quote-unquote, uh, by a company president, company Jack president Tunney. Jack Tunney, uh, for failing to show up to, for a tag team match. Uh, Andre briefly returned uh, as the masked giant machine as part of the machines, which included Big Machine and Super Machine. Uh, <laughs> and very creative names, I know. Uh, and you know, this whole thing just it kind of sounds like this is where they took the idea for uh, Mr. America uh, many years down the line with Hulk Hogan, where it's like, you're not supposed to be here, but, you know, and it's obviously who you we think you are, because who else could it be under that mask? Uh, so, I know, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty funny, even though Machine and The Machine and Giant Machine is very uninspired <laughs> as a name, but I think the whole circumstance is funny. So, after this short stint as part of the machines, WrestleMania 3 was looming, and after the disappointing returns of WrestleMania 2, as we know, WrestleMania 2, still the only WrestleMania to ever lose money, so it was very dangerous, they're at very dangerous ground here. You know, WrestleMania 1 was a very successful venture, but, you know, to almost squander it, to squander it almost immediately, uh, was very scary. So, of course, Vince McMahon wanted to hold the biggest main event uh, he could possibly put together. So, of course, he wanted to have the undefeated Andre the Giant face the in his prime Hulk Hogan mm. now at first Andre resisted the idea if only because his back was still bothering him uh, 
like I said, it's not really clear when he had that back surgery or not, but either way, his back was bothering him. Uh, so, so it was very hesitant to get back in the ring. But he did like the idea of putting over Hogan as the new top guy uh, in front of a capacity crowd, so he did eventually agree. And with that, it was time to turn Andre the Giant heel for the very first time in America. You know, he had wrestled a lot in Japan, and much like Hogan, uh, was very prone to being a heelish uh, character over in Japan as well. Uh, so it's not unprecedented uh, that he would be a heel, but for fans here in America, it would be the first time uh, they would ever see that side of Andre. And and it was uh, brought about, like I said, in really, you know, cry-inducing fashion, too. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, the match was built, like, so, one of the greatest builds for a match I've seen ever. Uh, and it was very simply done. Very simple, but highly effective. Uh, with, you know, weekly uh, Piper's Pit segments, basically. Uh, on the first pit, uh, Hogan, of course, was awarded an enormous trophy, commemorating the third anniversary of his WWF Championship reign. Uh, Jack Tunney came out to present the trophy, and he, he read this giant, like, inscription, uh, you know, detailing just how, how much, you know, Hulk Hogan meant to the company and all, all the things that he brought to the, to the title and all this and that. Uh, and and while they're doing this, they kind of show this snippet of him winning the title back and, you know, him going to the locker room and Andre being the first person to greet him, you know, pouring champagne on his head after Hulk wins the title. Uh, and right after that, Hulk, you know, Andre comes out with a pretty sarcastic smile and just ominously says, three years is a long time to be champion. And just, <laughs> just shakes Hogan's hand. Uh, and then Hogan kind of sells the handshake as if Andre had kind of crushed his hand. And the segment just kind of ends, and everyone's like, that was weird. Mm. <laughs> Following week, Piper's put again. It's Andre's turn to be presented with a trophy to celebrate his 15 years of going undefeated. Again, this is not entirely true, but it's true enough, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the trophy, of course, is noticeably smaller than Hogan's before it. Uh, and Tunney's speech, you know, Tunney again comes out to present it, but his speech is much shorter, too. And before Andre can even get a chance to speak... Uh, like, you know, he gets, you know, Piper puts the mic in front of him, and before he gets a chance to get a word in edgewise, the Hulkster comes out and steals Andre's thunder by hijacking the interview, uh, even as he does so to, you know, to praise the giant. You know, he's praising him. He's like, oh, he's the, he's the biggest, like, he's such an inspiration to me, this and that. Uh, and by the time everyone turned, by the time Piper and Hogan turn back around, uh, Andre is already walking out. <laughs> Frustrated. The segment ends. Week three. Neither Andre nor Hogan are present, but Jesse Ventura comes out to claim that he knows Bobby Heenan is up to something. But, of course, being Ventura, he refuses to go into specifics and insists on bringing out the two icons to discuss it themselves face-to-face. -face. Ventura also points out the plain differences in the quality of the two trophies and speeches, and the segment ends. Mm. Week 4, Malcolm. This is it. Hogan and Andre come out on Piper's Pit to hash it out. But Andre does the heelish thing, the most heelish, unthinkable thing you do without actually laying your hands on your opponent. What is that, Malcolm? Uh, align yourself with Bobby Heenan. You align yourself with Bobby the Brain Heenan. <laughs> There's no bigger thing you could do short of actually attacking the guy. Pretty much, yeah. Just, <laughs> killed by association. Yep. And, you know, Hogan's losing his mind, and then Heenan claims that Hulk was jealous and threatened by Andre only befriending him so that he wouldn't have to defend his title against him. Andre challenges Hogan for the title at WrestleMania and solidifies his heel turn by ribbing his shirt and 
by ripping the shirt and crucifix right off of Hulk Hogan's body. As well as quite a bit of skin from Hogan's chest, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Put those Hogan. nails, Andre. Jeez. Yeah, seriously. Uh, and, you know, Hogan repeatedly is just wailing, not like this, not like this. And he's crying as Andre leaves. And, you know, as you pointed out, like a concerned Piper pointed out that, you know, Hulk is bleeding. <laughs> like the whole thing is like everyone's losing their mind. Like what just happened? And uh, funny bit of note, I found this out on a Talk is Jericho interview with Hogan. Where if you look on Hogan's finger, you'll see like a dollop of this weird gel. And that gel was actually supposed to indu- induce tears in Hogan because he didn't yeah. believe he'd be able to cry on command. Uh, thankfully, Andre ripped off a bit of his skin on his chest. and That, <laughs> that did not hurt. Or, I mean, it did hurt, but it did not hurt his ability to cry. Yeah, oh, yeah. It helped his ability to cry. <laughs> oh, God, the pain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Andre, what are you doing to me? Uh, but And that whole visual, you know, the blood on the cross, Hogan crying you know, on his knees, you know, it's such a powerful visual. Like, like I said it about is. Hogan, say what you will about him. He knows how to sell a moment and make it seem yeah. important. As we'd learn later years, Hogan's acting is pretty much terrible, but for, for the purposes of wrestling, uh, very good stuff. Hmm. The following week, in the final installment of uh, Piper's Pit, building up this feud, Hogan laments the deterioration of the relationship between him and Andre the Giant. But, you know, Roddy Piper, being Roddy Piper, is still pushing him. He's like, are you going to accept this challenge or not? Quit beating around the bush. And eventually, of course, Hogan would accept very, very very say very loudly <laughs> the match between him and uh and andrew the uh, giant at wrestlemania 3 and uh yeah soon after that the contract signed and the stage is set for wrestlemania 3 malcolm Ooh. and i mean what a build indeed i mean just everything and of course we got the saturday night's main event uh where i believe they signed the contract and i if i remember yep. if i remember correctly andre pearl harbors him then but <laughs> uh, and uh, this was like it, it was one of those builds because you honest you, I don't th- you, you never saw Andre lose it was no. uh, not to steal a phrase from Monsoon but it it was in fact the irresistible force meaning the mobile object because Hogan was the champ for three years you didn't see anyone take him so it was like these two guys you never saw lose ever going head to head I think it was one of the most perfect main events in history if not the most perfect Horse WrestleMania 3, March 29th, 1987. We know how it goes. You know, Andre the Giant does go down against Hulk Hogan in front of this thunderous capacity crowd at the Pontiac Silver Dome. But the match is, uh, I think it's more exciting than people give it credit for. Like, if you just take it, like, in a vacuum uh, without any of the circumstances surrounding it, you know, it's a fairly boring match. But, you know, knowing everything that you know about Andre, uh, uh, you know, he spends much of the time just kind of clobbering Hogan, but he's having it up. He's having a real good time. If you pay close attention, uh, like he's having the time of his life in front of these 93,000 people. Like there's a point where, where, you know, while he's beating up Hogan and he pushes him into the, into the, into the corner, like he looks right into the camera and winks at it. But I don't know if you've ever noticed that, like, but I've like, I noticed, I only noticed it after reading the, this, this graphic novel, uh, and I go back and watch the the match, and he winks at the camera. He's having a blast beating up Hogan at WrestleMania three. Uh, like, like it's such a great thing to watch. And um, yeah, like I mean, he's just having a lot of fun as a heel. And clearly, uh, I never noticed that. Uh, no, the the wink into the camera. I'm gonna have to look yeah. at that now. <laughs> like it's it's great. It's it's terrific stuff. 
And, you know, Hogan, like we said, you know, terrific performer. Uh, like, he's doing a great job of selling Andre. Uh, and, yeah, like, he eventually rallies and becomes a big hero in the icon- iconic moment where he slams him and, uh, and millions, of, millions of childhoods are made. Mm. Yeah, it was like it's one of the, like, every single thing about that match was a WrestleMania moment. Like, the match itself, the body slam, Hogan and Andre looking at each other from a distance uh, in the ring. Like, even Bobby the Brain, after they lose, Andre and Bobby the Brain Heenan, that visual of them in defeat as they leave the ring, that's pretty, that's iconic. Like, all three of these guys, and I'm including Bobby in that, of course, all three Mm -hmm. of these guys knew what they were doing, and they put on one of the most unforgettable main events in WrestleMania history. Yeah. And going back to what we talked, what we touched about, touched on a little bit earlier, uh, where Hulk wasn't super sure as to what <laughs> Andre would do during the match. Um, because, you know, even though he, uh, as, as, as I pointed out just a little while ago, you know, Andre was happy to do the job, uh, for, uh, for Hulk. He, he view he knew that he was a legitimate top guy, so he was happy to do it. Uh, but, in, in the in the graphic novel, there's this part a few weeks before WrestleMania three, like Hogan, Hogan's just walking around backstage, or rather Andre's walking around backstage, and he sees, uh, and he's just talking to somebody, and there he sees uh, Brutus, you know, the barber beefcake walking past, and he's like, hey, doesn't he hang around with Hogan a lot? So as they're walking past him, he just, he just tell Andre tells uh tells the person that he's talking to, he's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna destroy Hogan, it's gonna be great. <laughs> So of course this news gets to Hogan, and Hogan's like, uh, "What's what's gonna happen <laughs> at WrestleMania three? Because uh, if he's gonna go into business for himself, there's not much I can do about it." <laughs> <laughs> so so it's just a just a really funny part of the book as, as well. So I mean, of course we know what the outcome eventually was, but oh, yeah. you know, it's just oh yeah, like Hogan once again in that same interview with Jericho, he was like, like not even Vince told him what was gonna happen because not even Vince knew. Mm-hmm. And so he pretty much, when he went into that match, Hogan had no idea what was happening. He was like, yeah. he, it sounded like he made peace with like whatever happens in there happens in there. And uh, thankfully, you know, Andre made what I would say is the right move. Mm-hmm. He passed the torch, something that Hogan didn't really do in his career. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, discuss. it's such a weird thing too, because in that in that uh, TV interview that uh, that Hogan did, you know, he talks about how. Like, oh, yeah, like, Andre taught me so much about, you know, passing the torch and the job. Like, like, did he? Like, I mean, he taught you that for sure, but did you learn it? (laughs) Mr. Hogan. I don't have gigantism, brother. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, the matchup was very, very classic. And uh, I would have to say it was probably, like, Andre's biggest match of his career. Yeah, for sure. Mm. I mean... The match is big in pretty much literally every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. So, what happens after this? So, following this epic main event, Malgam, uh, Hogan and Andre continue their feud for about a year, uh, culminating in an iconic moment in which Andre cheats to win the WWF Championship finally. Uh, the old switcheroo with the, <laughs> with the two uh, Hebners. Uh, <laughs> How can there be two Earl Hebners? <laughs> Like, I don't know what you the whole plastic surgery thing. It's just hilarious. Oh, that's just, that was brilliant. But... <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, Andre immediately sells the title uh, to the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Uh, and this all happens on the February 8th edition, or 1988 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. What an episode. Which is uh, on the network, by the way, but yes. 
<laughs> oh, it, it, such an insane episode that was. <laughs> and it, the whole million dollar man paying someone to have surgery to look exactly like Earl Hefner. <laughs> that, that really cemented DiBiase as this crazy heel for me. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, I mean, there were so many easier ways than by paying <laughs> by paying somebody to look to get surgery to look like a ref and then paying the winner of the match that you're fixing for the belt on top of that it's like how, how much money do you have million dollar man Ted DiBiase you have to have more than a mil than just one million, man. <laughs> like even in 1988 uh, you'd have you'd probably need more than a million dollars this is uh, actually one of this match is one of the I think the only wrestling memory I have with my stepfather at the time who walked in watch, seeing me watch this. <laughs> and he just got, like, so annoyed because he, he was on he was already on a whole wrestling's fake kick, but then he saw this and was like, oh, come on, his shoulder's clearly up there, Malcolm. How can you believe in this stuff? It's, it's a work. <laughs> Jesus. I know. That's the point. His our shoulder is clearly up. <laughs> That's the story. Dude, that's the story. He's clearly being cheated out of the title. <laughs> that's the villainy of Ted DiBiase. There's no, it knows no bounds, Malcolm Stepdad. <laughs> Freaking A. Well, yeah, there's a story. You know, Hogan's shoulder was clearly up, but fake Earl Hepner still counts three. <laughs> gives the belt to Andre, who then proceeds to surrender the tag team championship to... <laughs> uh, Immediately. Up. Like, he turns to his left. It's like, here you go. <laughs> Transaction finished. What? It's like Hogan's watching what would be like a week's worth of Raws. <laughs> like, two weeks <laughs> worth of Raws take place in front of him. And he's, That's why he was so horrified, Malcolm. Oh, yeah, and he's selling it like this is the worst day in his life. And then he turns around and... The, uh, the real Earl Hepner, I guess, untied himself and ran to the ring. <laughs> uh, and, oh, God, yes. Terrific stuff. And, of course, uh, WWF president Jack Tunney would have none of this, Malcolm, and immediately avoided this this uh, this dubious transaction and vacated the title. Indeed. And, and of- while Million Dollar Man's uh, reign does not count, uh, Andre still does. So he was uh, champion for, what, eight seconds? yeah something like that (laughs) but uh yeah that would of course be uh andre's one and only uh reign as wwf world heavyweight champion oh which is kind of a bummer admittingly but Eh, i mean like i like 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 has been said before at the beginning of this program uh andre's not a man that really needed championship no no it was enough to just be the eighth wonder of the world to be honest (laughs) because uh in that in that same profile where by david shoemaker where you know where that line you know there was no cga there was only andre uh there's another great line in there where uh where you know it's like it's like all a championship would do would make him more human (laughs) like he would he doesn't need that oh yeah uh so this all sets up a tournament for the WWF Championship, the first and only kind of its kind at WrestleMania 4, uh, or rather the only kind of its kind within a WrestleMania at WrestleMania 4. Uh, Thank God. Yeah, because uh, not a great tournament. Uh, I've never seen so many draws in a single tournament. <laughs> like, A's. It's like the end result was wonderful, sure. Oh, you yeah. Know, yeah. Putting the strap on Macho Man was great, but the process of getting there was left a lot to be desired, including uh, the rematch between Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan in a quarterfinals matchup. Uh, they had both gotten first-round buys and met 
in the second round, and uh, they <laughs> ended up ending up in a double disqualification. Yeah, they just took turns hitting each other with a ch- steel chair that Hogan brought into the ring. So, really, yeah. he should have been disqualified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, what? I mean, and also, it's like, why would Hogan bring it? Like, what kind of heel stuff is this, Hogan? Get out of here. Uh, the other, another thing I remember about this matchup, uh, there's, at the end, uh, Hogan's beating up on Virgil on the outside, and I guess he just got wrapped up in the excitement, and he went to go for a suplex on Virgil. Mm-hmm. And two things. One, it's clear that Hogan doesn't want to fall on the ground. And two, that Virgil didn't want to take a suplex on the outside. <laughs> so what results is the most awkward-looking suplex in the history of wrestling. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, it time. was kind of a poop. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Just... Like, especially considering, you know, how amazing that the first time they met up was, you know, to have it just end in a popcorn fart, like <laughs> the quarterfinals match in WrestleMania 4 was kind of disappointing. Yeah, I, I can only imagine what it was like for you, for people that actually were looking forward to this. Like, that, I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of people that bought this pay-per-view to see Hogan versus Andre 3. Yeah. And, uh, it's weird because we only really got a Hogan Andre match once, and that was at three. And ever since then, the matches have been like five minutes long. Like the Saturday night's main event, was it that long? Long when it happened? No, or, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a, an hour long broadcast on NBC. Of course, it wasn't very long. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's like even even WrestleMania three was only their matchup was like seven or eight minutes. Yeah, it, it felt almost like a Divas title match for Christ's sake. <laughs> So, I mean, following this very disappointing uh, match, I mean, they they were still feud for a little while, Hogan and Andre, uh, and it would end up in a steel cage match at WrestleFest on July 31st, 1988 in Milwaukee, which Hogan, of course, won again. Mm-hmm. Um, after this, Andre would team with Mr. DiBiase to form the Mega Bucks uh, in direct response to Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage's Mega Powers. I love the Mega Bucks. <laughs> the two teams would clash in the main event at the inaugural SummerSlam. On August 29th, 1988, uh, the Mega Powers would defeat the Bucks, of course. With as the power uh, Hogan... of women's underwear. Yeah, pretty much. You know, <laughs> you have Miss Elizabeth getting naked, very uncharacteristically, uh, but that's what happens to distract everybody. The, the funny thing is, like, if you see, saw the Mega Powers uh, in promos uh, during SummerSlam, like, they knew it was going to happen. They're like, oh, we got a secret weapon. Oh, they're, they're like two children. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. I, I really wish there was like a hidden camera, sit, where with Hogan and on Hogan and Macho Man talking. And I was like, "Yeah, brother, we need to think of something to take these guys out." Brother, I got an idea. Elizabeth shows her <laughs> panty, <laughs> and it's so weird because Macho Man, both you know, in character and out of character, was so overly protective of Miss Elizabeth. So it's so weird that it ever happened at all. <laughs> It's like, that's the one time he had a, this weird mental lapse where he's like, sure, let's show everyone Miss, Le- Miss Elizabeth's butt. It's like, okay. <laughs> and it was just so comical how Andre and DiBiase just stop what they're doing. Like, DiBiase almost seems seems angry and confused. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, and it's like, how does that even work? It's like, as if these two men have never considered a naked woman before. Oh, God. Because you know Andre's seen naked women. I've heard those stories, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Virgil has quite a few of those, unfortunately. But anyway. <laughs> but yeah, they Pearl Harbor them. 
I think it was leg drop, elbow, it's over. <laughs> and, yeah, that's pretty much the end of that between uh, between Andre and Hogan. And that's, this is when uh, things start kind of winding down for Mr. Andre Rusimov. Uh, soon after that, that feud, he's kind of relegated to the mid-card, uh, first facing off with Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, that That match was kind of defined by... Andre's fear of snakes, I guess. <laughs> this was amazing. <laughs> Just him, like, begging Jake not to throw his, the snake at him. And, of course, Jake throws the snake at him because he's, he's a face. And Andre <laughs> proceeds to have a seizure in the ring. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Oh, man. It's like, man, what a bully. Jake the Snake Robert was. How is he the face in this altercation? Um... If I remember correctly, the uh, the feud started at Survivor Series 88, where at the time, Sir, Jake was in a feud with uh, Ravishing Rick Rude, and it was Jake's team versus uh, versus uh, Rick Rude's team, and Rick and Andre was on Rick Rude's team, and uh, Jake was like the last guy, and he was taking on four guys by himself. And he actually fought back, and uh, even getting Rick Rude and hitting the DDT on him and eliminating him. And uh, Andre just uh, said, F it. And he just grabs Jake's and just <laughs> strangles him. Like, you know, he doesn't break the five count. He just, like, strangles him for, like, 30 mi- seconds to a minute. And then uh, Kurt Henning just walks in and pins him. And that's <laughs> <laughs> Nice. And that was the start of the feud. And uh, from there, if, if you cut in just with uh, Jake Roberts throwing the snake at him, yeah, it just makes Jake look like a dick. But... Th- that's that's where the feud started. It was him doing that. So Jake then needed to find an equalizer against Andre because the motherfucker's Andre. So <laughs> what are you, you going to do? So uh, yeah, it was Jake, and that was the story of the matchup. You know, you know, Jake could not take Andre, but with the snake, he had a chance. So. And this all culminates at WrestleMania Five, Malcolm. Oh yeah. Oh, where, oh by the way, Jake also cost Andre the world title against Macho Man. <laughs> oh yeah, There's right. That too, but it, yeah, that culminated at WrestleMania Five. Which you know what the one thing I remember about this matchup was? It, it was uh, this part where Jake uh, w- went to punch Andre in the head, <laughs> and he punches him in the head, and each. <laughs> Each time he punches Andre in the head, Jake would shake his fist like he was just punching granite. And uh, I, I just love that. It just added to the whole mystique about Andre the Giant. And it was about as good as a matchup as you're going to get with Andre, really. <laughs> but Yeah, especially at this point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, DiBiase interferes, but, you know, Jake comes back. Oh, Big John Studd was the refer- special guest referee, wasn't he? Indeed he was. Uh, this is kind of where they revived uh, that rivalry from, you know, before WrestleMania 1, where, you know, Roberts wins the match via DQ after Andre ends up hitting Big John Studd. <laughs> uh, and that's where uh, where both the feud with Roberts ended and the, the feud with uh, Studd was reignited. Mm. And uh, the feud with Studd was uh, much shorter than the last one, quickly giving way to a feud against the Ultimate Warrior. Although these were largely untelevised dark matches in which Warrior squashed the giant to build his mystique as a top star, uh, which worked great for, you know, Warrior uh, in the lead-up to WrestleMania VI. Uh, Andre, meanwhile, uh, was paired with fresh uh, Heenan family recruit Haku to form the Colossal Connection tag team. Another guy I can't wait to do one of these episodes on is he just 
was such a badass outside the ring. <laughs> Haku is, yeah, he's he's something else. Um, <laughs> and he had to carry this team. Let's give him credit for that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, for sure. Um, you know, they did end up winning the tag temp- the tag titles, like you said, the WWF Tag Team Championship yep, uh, as, from Demolition. As the Colossal Connection. Yeah, on December 13th, 1989. They defended the titles uh, well enough. Uh, that is until WrestleMania 6, where Demolition finally regained what they had lost. However, as you pointed out, Malcolm, uh, Andre's health was in a real bad way, so he didn't participate in the match at all, besides no. standing on the apron as Haku but Demolition single-handedly. He never yeah. tagged in. Haku uh, pulled a Miz. <laughs> basically, but not on purpose. <laughs> I would have loved it if uh, Andre was uh, Haku's stunt double. That would have been an interesting <laughs> <laughs> They only wrestled like in a handful of matches, but uh, I love their finisher of Andre just holds the guy while Haku kicks him square in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it's very simple, but very effective. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, Andre did not participate in this matchup at all, just because, you know, it it was pretty much the end. And this was uh, pretty much his last match, if I'm not mistaken. Not quite. Oh, Um, okay. And even then, it wasn't all bad, uh, because, you know, Andre did turn face once again following this match. Yeah, He he blamed Andre for the loss, slapped him in the face, uh, and then Andre uh, retaliated against both uh, his manager and his partner. And, of course, uh, cheers started raining down on Andre once again for the first time in three years. Andre throwing Haku and uh, Bobby the Brain off of the uh, riding ring. To the <laughs> ring. <laughs> I, I just love that. And he even headbutts Haku, and Haku sells it. That's That was tremendous. <laughs> the Samoans don't usually sell headbutts, so that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, from after WrestleMania 6, Andre would appear much less frequently. Oh, uh, most. Yeah. Uh, most of his post-WrestleMania 6 wrestling career was spent in tag matches that took much of the workload off of him, uh, mostly in Japan as well, teaming up with Giant Baba. His time on camera and on uh, WWF TV was mostly to rescue or be rescued, uh, helping big boss men at WrestleMania 7 against Mr. Perfect, and then being rescued from the natural disasters by the Legion of Doom at SummerSlam in 91. Uh, so that's kind of what his role was following WrestleMania 6. His final appearance for WWF was at a Paris house show on October 9th, 1991, uh, as he stood in British Bulldog's corner versus Earthquake. Uh, Bulldog would hit Earthquake with one of Andre's crutches, because uh, this is the time when, around the time when uh, you know, he was walking around. He needed a lot of help walking around. Yeah. Uh, and you know he had these crutches, and you would see him on camera, and it was, it was really sad, because you know, just a few years ago, you'd see him you know, towering above Hulk Hogan uh, at WrestleMania 3, and now he's just kind of walking around looking... Much older than even he, he than he was even then when he'd already looked much older than he was a couple of years before WrestleMania three even uh, so this very rapid aging of uh, Andre the Giant was very disheartening. Yeah, I mean, you, it's crazy to think about it because you know you're right. Just a few years ago, he was in the main event of WrestleMania three, and then a few even less years ago, he was in a tag team championship. And granted, he wasn't. He wasn't. He didn't participate, but he was a tag team champion. And now you see him with the. He needs two crutches in order to get around now. And it, it is. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. And Andre's final TV appearance, strangely, uh, was on World Championship Wrestling Clash of the Champions twenty on September second, nineteen ninety one, uh, when they were celebrating twenty years of wrestling on TBS. He just kind of shows up, 
uh, for like a couple of interviews, like like for 30 seconds, he, they just kind of talk to him and he's just kind of sitting around drinking in the back. Uh, and then that's kind of it for TV. Uh, his final match uh, period was a six-man tag match for New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, on December 4th, 1992. Andre the Giant teamed up with Giant Baba and Rusher Kimura and they all defeated Haruka Aigen, Masafuchi, and Matoshi Okuma on, again, December 4th, 1992. Mm. Uh, and then a few short weeks after that, unfortunately, Andre Rusimov would die in his sleep on January 27th, 1993. A few weeks from that match? Yeah, uh, of congestive uh, heart failure in a Paris hotel room. Oh, and man. tragically, he was in town for the funeral of his father. Oh. Yeah, so, I mean, his age at that point would have been, uh, what is it, uh, 46? So, uh, yeah, he... He outlived those projections, I would say, uh, of not seeing 40. Uh, not by much that he beat those projections, but he, yeah, he, he had a full life, man. Indeed, and the way you described it, you know, he found out he was going to die. He wouldn't live past whatever age, and he just decided, you know what, F it. I'm just going to live my life to the fullest. It would make a really good movie now that I think about it. And like, no joke, just like seeing him have the, like the, no, no pun intended at the time of his life and have this amazing, amazing career. But yeah, Andre was like the very first wrestler for me to die. Like, uh, it didn't get any better after Andre, unfortunately, but <laughs> no, that was like that first, like heartbreaking, you know, reality cracking instance for me where I sort of learned like these guys aren't going to be around forever. Yeah. And, you know, it was, and I still, you know, I still remember seeing Vince McMahon in the special report for Wrestling Challenge appear to say that Andre had passed away. And he introduced like this uh, tribute video just showing off uh, Andre the Giant. And I still remember the song playing in the background. And it was this very touching piano riff that was actually really, really good. I wish I could think of a title for you guys to you google it with but yeah it's very cool it just shows and i what i remember the most out of all of it i remember it just shows primarily andre smiling and laughing <laughs> and uh as you know that's the type of human being he was you know he was just this happy guy and from the sound of your uh, research here it sounds like that's very very true and they would also show the same video when they announced Andre, and uh, forgive me for uh, taking this part for you, when they also announced Andre as the very, very first Hall of Famer inducted into the Hall of Fame. In fact, he was literally a class by himself for that mm -hmm. Hall of Fame. Yeah, they, they created the Hall of Fame after his death on uh, March 22nd, uh, then March 22nd, 1993 episode of Monday Night Raw. Uh, and yeah, he was the, the sole inductee for that. Uh, and very fitting. Hey, uh, Andre, yeah, forgive me, you know, it's just kind of sad to look back on, on that point. But, uh, yeah, Andre, to say he had a hell of a career is uh, quite the understatement. Uh, he was one of the most legendary uh, wrestlers of his time, and he was very instrumental in not only helping shape the WWE to what it is today, but also creating, helping with Hulkamania and making that what it was to make the WWE 
Yeah, I mean, you know, his his legacy does live on in, in several ways. Like the most prominent one recently was, of course, at WrestleMania 30, when Hulk Hogan, as the host of WrestleMania 30, introduced uh, the Andrew the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, uh, where the winner would earn this giant commemorative trophy with, you know, Andre standing triumphantly on top of it. Uh, and my favorite part of the whole thing was not only that, but, but that Cesaro won the thing by heaving Big Show over the top rope and, you know, just bring as a visual callback to, you know, that WrestleMania 3 slam, uh, you know, and Big Show's wearing the singlet too with the one strap, and it's all just a really great moment. Oh, yeah, it was very classic, and I hope they that that's like a newfound tradition for WrestleMania, which I could see it being as just being like an excuse to have everybody in the show for that. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think he influences a lot of people too. Like anytime you see like a big man, like once again, big show who coincidentally uh, upon his uh, debut was sort of billed as Andre's son. Just <laughs> yeah. Which obviously is not true. But... No, no. <laughs> uh, but you know, the, you know, a lot of the psychology that Andre would wrestle with, you know, be a giant, for instance, uh, is a whole lot true and is learned by quite a few of the big men that are in wrestling today. The uh, the philosophy, like especially from Undertaker, who really took that that philosophy and took it to a new level, I think. Yeah. But you know, the the stance, like if you're gonna fall down, make it mean something. You know, I mean, and if you're you know, don't do aerial maneuvers. Just make yourself look to be a monster. The, all of those uh, nuances uh, are still carried through to this day, and uh, on, a lot of people have Andre to thank for bringing that philosophy to what it is. And I guess one of the biggest testaments to his legacy, too, is that even though I haven't seen The Princess Bride, my seven-year-old niece loves that movie, and she's seen him hundreds of times and it's really funny because it's uh, a timeless movie joe my god <laughs> i know but i'm saying it's really funny to know that even my seven-year-old niece uh who was born year years like two decades after he had even died uh knows who andre the giant is mm. oh yeah he's like widely regard he's still he's in a movie that people widely regard as the greatest movie of all time i mean a lot of people say it's the perfect movie i mean and you trust me, you'll be quoting it after you see okay. it. Okay. And I mean, I don't know if I'll take it that far, but I mean, I'm sure I'll like oh, it. Oh, you, you will, my friend. You will. <laughs> uh, I've already, I already bought the book, so I hope that you buy the Blu-ray as soon as, or at least get your niece to bring it over next time. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> Freaking a. Uh, so, is there anything else we need to talk about as far as Andre there, Joe? Um, you know, I think that's that's about it. I mean, just uh. I mean, if anything, I will echo my sentiment earlier where, you know, I had no not much interest in Andre before doing the research and and coming away with just a whole new appreciation, not only Andre, but for just like, you know, big men in general, like even like watching the big show now, it's like, yeah, all right, I'll tolerate the big show. <laughs> like I don't unilaterally dislike him anymore, uh, even though I really wish it stop. That's the power of Andre. You like the big show now. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. It's like, yeah, okay. Uh, like I, I can appreciate the difficulty of just being that large and having to move around uh, on a regular basis. You know, one, one thing I wish uh, Andre would, I see Andre, that big show would take from Andre, is knowing not Andre only had to turn like twice, maybe three times. <laughs> big show just turned for the twentieth time. For, yeah, oh. I don't. Like I think someone actually tracked in. It's like it's literally over twenty times that he's turned. Yeah. <laughs> oh. 
And uh, what are some matches you'd recommend for the people to check out to see Andre in action? Well, I mean, again, I can't stress enough how little footage there is or quality footage there is because of, of, of the era that Andre's prime was uh, occurred during. So, I mean, there's stuff on YouTube and stuff on the network. So, I mean, there's not much. But what I was able to find was, you know, uh, you know that Chuck Webner match uh, against the boxer at Shea Stadium. Very, I mean, it's it's goofy. Um, it can it's really slow in a lot of parts. But like I think the aftermath and just seeing him heave the guy and toying with him, uh, it's still fun overall to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, uh, that Hulk Hogan match at Shea Stadium before even WrestleMania three is available on YouTube. Uh, you can find it. Like I think the only quality footage, like I, it's like in. If you want the original commentating team, it only exists in like grainy VCR quality. Uh, but like, there's a really good visual quality version uh, on YouTube that has Michael Cole and, and Mick Foley commentating on it. So, depending on your tolerance for Michael Cole, you can find that <laughs> uh, you, can, you can find that uh, on YouTube very easily. Uh, you know, he's got a couple of matches against the likes of Stan Hansen in New Japan Pro Wrestling on YouTube, uh, Antonio Inoki, uh, Nick Bakwinkle even at Comiskey Park. Uh, Although the only version of that I could find was a very terrible quality uh, VCR, so watch at your own, I guess, leisure for that. Uh, <laughs> but for all the other stuff that you would actually find on the network, though, on the proper network, uh, of course, WrestleMania three goes yeah. without saying, uh, as well as you know that Saturday Night's main event, you know, <laughs> where he where he cheats his way to the title and then immediately sells it to uh, the Million Dollar Man. Always worth to watch. Uh, <laughs> As well as his matchup with uh, Randy Savage on Saturday night's main event, uh, where you know uh, <laughs> Jake the Snake comes in with the snake with uh, with Damian and terrorizes uh, Andre some more. Uh, do you have anything off the top of your head that I didn't mention there, Malcolm? Um, I, I wouldn't say uh, it's so much for the match quality, but I would say check out Colossal Connection versus Demolition at WrestleMania Six. Because granted, he doesn't wrestle, but just the reaction and the aftermath that uh, took place after the match, I think, is worth to watch because it was Andre's return as a face, and uh, that was a really big moment in that WrestleMania. Um, let's see. Uh, the re- like you said, the matches are very few, so you sort of have to treasure what you have. Like the matchup with <laughs> Jake, I thought was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was uh, interesting. I thought it elevated Jake as a. Uh, Andre matches actually tended to do, even though it was him destroying you. Yeah. He never made you look bad. And the fact that you were putting up such a fight, you couldn't help but look stronger thanks to it. Yeah. And Jake did go over, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I loved how that matchup went. Uh, and I, I have a very special place in my heart for the Mega Bucks versus the <laughs> Mega Powers. Uh, that, that, that's pretty much my childhood in a nutshell. So. <laughs> Freaking A. Uh, so yeah, recommend those. If you can see anything from Andre from New Japan, then that's all. That's a good one too. Yeah, I mean, if you can, if you can navigate the uh, the Japanese language, you can probably find all those matches on their on their streaming service that is similar to the WWE Network, New Japan World. They've got a thing there. Uh, it's only available in Japanese though, so uh, you're gonna have to find a guide if you don't know Japanese to figure that out. Basically, yeah, New Japan World is a, is basically their WWE network, and all they've got all the Hogan matches and all the Andre matches that they've ever had over there, uh, and those are worth seeking out as well if you if you can do that. Is that um, only on computer? Or is there a way to watch that on TV yet? Um, I don't. I think it is only on computers. I'm not sure you'll be able to. Like it's it's certainly not on 
on any smartphones that I know, yeah. or definitely not on any consoles. Um, but, you know, on top of matches, there's also a couple of other things. Uh, you know, there, he did a, an interview on David Letterman uh, before he even had the late show, like when he was still on NBC even. Uh, that's, that's a pretty fun thing to watch because, you know, David Letterman, you know, this tiny little Jewish geek from, <laughs> from New York, just in awe of this giant, massive man. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> and, you know, it's a lot of fun to watch that. Um, again, I can't recommend enough the, uh, the, the, the graphic novel by Box Brown, uh, the Andre the Giant thing. It's, it's very beautifully drawn and very, like, this puts him in a very human light. And I, I think it's really great. Um, and, uh, yeah, other things that I looked at for this was, uh, which was a pain in the ass to pull up, the Sports Illustrated uh, interview from 1981, because for a while, Sports Illustrated had this really great thing where they would put all their interviews from, like, their entire 50-year archive, like, on their, on the website. But at one point, they merged with, like, the Bleacher Report or something, and now all the links to their, all those interviews uh, redirect to the Bleacher Report for some reason. So I had to do a lot of digging to even find it. Uh, but oh, it's a really great profile, uh, if you can somehow dig that up yourself. Uh, and, um, and of course, uh, David Shoemaker's writing on, on Andrew the Giant is really good too, both on Deadspin and on, um, and in this book, The Squared Circle. It's actually the same thing. He kind of just copied and pasted the article he wrote on Deadspin and put it in the book. Uh, but it's a very good chapter nonetheless. And that's pretty much all I've got. And, uh, it sounds like, uh, without, uh, having seen all of it, it sounds like, uh, if you want to learn more about Andre the Giant, check out. Box Brown's Life and Legend of Andre the Giant, as I just purchased it just from hearing Joe talk about it for Lindsay. And uh, yeah, check that out. And for Christ's sakes, if you haven't seen it, and Joe, I, I, <laughs> I applaud you for having the courage to admit that you haven't seen one of the best movies of all time. But seriously, go check out Princess <laughs> Bride. He's amazing in that. And I guess that does it for this week, huh, Joe? It, it does. That's That's this episode of Slam University. Uh, you can find us at slamuni.com, of course. That's where all the episodes live. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Slam University. You can find me personally at once 23 You can find Malcolm at PSMalk. Hmm. And, and uh, oh, what were you going to say, Malcolm? I was going to say, pretty soon you can find us on YouTube, too. Oh, yeah. Definitely that. And other things that are, that are a churning, I guess. Uh, and, and we'll be happy to publicize that uh, when it's all well and all, all well and ready. Indeed. So, right. with that being said, Malcolm, I guess we're done. All right, buddy. One, two, three. We'll see you guys next week. When we will maybe raise a dead man or two. Oh yes. There's a lot of tough guys in the World Wrestling Federation. A lot of guys think they're big and they're bad. But nobody has the record of this man. Nobody's undefeated. The only man ever to defeat Hulk Hogan then gets stripped of the title by the World Wrestling Federation. Never lost the battle royal. Never's been pinned. Never gave up. And all you other guys think you're tough because you carry a two-by-four or you have some kind of an animal in a bag. You're a bunch of nothing. You guys can come in the ring anytime you want, anywhere you want. You are welcome. Because I will show you what it is, professional wrestling. I will show you that the giant way. Because the Bobby Finn family are the best one. And we're going to steal the best. <laughs>